Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're going to break down USC's 45-27 to loss to Oregon State in the Coliseum. The first time the Beavers have won in Los Angeles since 1960. So a historic loss for the Trojans, so we'll break it all down. And of course, wherever you're watching, Facebook or YouTube, I don't believe we're on Periscope right now, so put your comments, questions, and concerns in the chat box. We love hearing from you guys. Also, we have the return of calls tonight. You can call us 5124-TUNNEL. The lovely Chris Trevino is standing by to screen your calls. Uh, we already have a caller in the queue, so thank you for that. Um, but like I said, guys, it was a historic loss for USC. Uh, we saw USC go down against Washington State in Pullman halftime. Dante Williams talks to the team. The team turns it around. Wasn't able to do that last night. What did we see on on Saturday, Ryan? Yeah, it's funny. Um, our friends Alicia Deratola over at the Rain of Troy, they were talking about, hey, if you have a good third quarter, things are usually going to be talked about well. Like if you remember the Washington State game from uh, you know last year, all the points were scored early, and then you kind of like didn't do much the rest of the game. In this last one. All the points were scored in the third quarter, or a lot of them, and you just kind of feel better about it. You know, like if it's the fourth quarter comeback, that's one thing. But scoring points after halftime, you kind of feel good. And actually, USC's second and third quarter really just dominated the game uh, when they're after being down 14 nothing. It was the complete opposite. Uh, in this game, Oregon State started in the second quarter, five straight touchdown drives, two of them 92-yard variety. So they just dominated the second, third quarters, 35-7 to or whatever it was. They scored just early in the... Uh, the fourth quarter, but USC had nothing uh, coming out of there. It looked like Oregon State had to, you know, was in, just inflicting their will on this game. We're able to push USC around, uh, just, you know, really good run blocking. I think they had, I believe it was 12 runs that were over 10 yards. Uh, Chance Nolan was great. He, you know, threw four, four touchdown passes, didn't have to throw a ton, but four touchdown passes was really efficient and also took off and uh, ran. The ball was able to, if there's ever guys were covered, he just kind of took off and ran. And it just seemed like whatever Oregon State wanted to do, they did. And that adds up to a historic loss. And there's, that's what the problem has been, one of the main problems with the Clay Helton era. There's just too many losses of the first time since this or the first time since that. And it's like, it's certainly before you guys were born. It's even before I was born. That's wow. how, you know. That's it, saying a lot, Ryan. <laughs> it's saying something. Uh, for sure, this was a long time. 61 years, man. Like, uh, that's a lot. So it, those are not the kind of records you want um, broken. And unfortunately, that's where USC is right now. Mm -hmm. Shotgun, I know you, <clears throat> excuse me, did a quick rewatch. How did what you saw today compare to what you saw on Saturday? I mean, I think it just confirmed what we thought we saw on Saturday was that USC got pushed around and no one could really get off blocks. And that was the thing. They didn't have any answers. 
That, that's what you're talking about with the third quarter is, you know, they come, come in that Washington State game, you know, they didn't make a bunch of changes, but everyone started focusing on their job and doing a little bit better, uh, and that was the difference. And that it, they didn't really play great for, you know, they played great in the second half uh, and one drive. You know, it wasn't even in the second quarter and the third quarter in that one. Um, so they started off slow there. And looking at this game, you look at it, and it was, you know, USC was up 14-7. Um, and before halftime, it becomes 21 to, to 17. You know, USC, both Oregon State goes down and drives, you know, with two minutes left. And you go, that's when you, I think to me, it was like, USC's in trouble. Yeah. Because they've been running the ball and, hey, maybe you make some halftime adjustments and you, you can slow down the run. But they just picked you apart and went down in like less than a minute, um, you know, throwing the ball and connect, connecting on the deep ball over Chris Steele for the touchdown. So, that was that was kind of eye opening. Going, oh, they're not one dimensional, and USC can't stop either dimension right now. Uh, and they didn't have any answers when they came out. You're looking to see, okay, will there be some adjustments in the first drive of the second half, right down the field once again for Oregon State? Uh, you know, even with the penalty called back, and they were, I think it was first and twenty at one point. They got five or six yards in the first down, and I think there was a third and 13 at one point. I don't remember if that was the second quarter or the third quarter, but they pick it up. Like, every time there was something where USC, all right, they can get off the field right. here. They can never get off the field on third downs, and I think one of the things, you know, USC stopped Oregon State in the first half. They got the interception, uh, but they got a, they forced a punt, and it was the quarterback, you know, they, you know, right. quick, quick kick, uh, but they forced a punt there, the next drive, that's when you saw Oregon State start going to the edges more. They say, okay, let's make an adjustment here. USC has stopped this. Let's you know give them a different look. And they started with those speed runs and stuff. And USC did not play the edges well. No, the um, end of rounds were killing them. Yeah, the end of rounds, the, you know, the jet sweep stuff was, you know, they were getting there almost every single time. They had an opportunity to just turn it up field whenever they wanted to. So, you know, USC couldn't stop them when they're running between the tackles. They couldn't stop them when they're running outside the tackles. So you can't stop the run. You're not going to win any games. And, you know, they gave up over 300 yards rushing. At, at halftime, they were on pace to give up 650 yards. Yeah. And it wasn't too far off of that. It was only because, partly because when you onside kick, there's a lot less yardage for them to chew up. <laughs> um, but, you know, USC, Oregon State took foot off the gas a little bit in that fourth quarter and, that made the numbers look a little bit more even, but USC's defense just didn't have an answer. And you know, I talked to Todd Orlando afterwards, and he, that's what he said too. He said, "I tried a bunch of different things, and nothing was working. Um, how do they fix that? That's a big question mark to me. You know, it's the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. That's the the classic John McKay saying. They don't have the guys in the middle of the defense right now. They don't have a true nose tackle that can take up two blockers." And you know, allow your run your linebackers to run freely and go get somebody. You know, they did they did such a great job, Oregon State, their offensive line. Pretty much everything was straightforward. They didn't not a lot of pulling guards, not anything. I gotta check again, but I noticed that when I was rewatching about the third or fourth quarter, I was like, it feels like everything has just been straight ahead, man on man, we're gonna take you on, push you out of the way. And that's what they did. They did a great job with their combo blocks of taking out the, you know, Jacob Lichtenstein playing defensive tackle or Stanley Taufu, just pushing them back about five yards with two dudes and the second guy coming off and going into linebacker. You know, so even when they were double teaming somebody, it's not like there was a free runner for USC. And there were very few times when USC just beat a block. And that's that's what has to change. They have to find a way to beat some blocks. Now, they had a, some good pass rushes in the first half and were this close. But if you're that close, then you're not there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they can't hit the quarterback and affect him, 
then now you're just playing man-to-man coverage for no reason because if your your blitzes aren't getting there at all, and that's part of the schematics of it, and it's not just you know free for all in there, but you know you look at the I think it was third and five that touchdown pass to Tyjon Lindsay um, on a corner route Isaiah Palmau man-to-man coverage across the board USC brought seven guys you know kind of an all-out blitz there man-to-man coverage across and if you can't guard somebody you can't or you can't get to the quarterback quick enough. He has plenty of time to throw that entire John Lizzie, even though Isaiah Palmau is good in coverage, is going to win that battle most of the time. Yeah. So, you know, they just weren't able to get to the quarterback and affect him when they were passing the ball and they weren't able to stop the the run at the line of scrimmage. They were very they had no tackles for losses, no sacks, and only a couple of plays that were stopped for no no uh, yards gained on runs. Yeah, no three and outs. Um, really, the only stops there was a couple of interceptions, like great play by ITS, like mm-hmm. getting his t- you know toe tapping. Uh, and that one punt was pretty good drive from Oregon State, and they could have went for it on fourth, and then just they were going for it on fourth, and then the, the quarterback backed up and punted. So there wasn't really a real punt from Oregon State until the fourth quarter in this one. So. We didn't see the punter until the fourth quarter. Yeah, like that's not uh, that's not a recipe for success. Yeah, not ideal. Now up on the other side of the ball, we were uh, anticipating Keaton Slovis's return. Shotgun, I know you are. Uh, Putting out, a, you're you're a fan of Slovis in the sense that I think fans are really easy to blame the quarterback when there are drops and other things like that. What did you see from Slovis? I don't think the blame should be on Slovis. Now he could play better. Yes, I think everyone and Dante Williams said that today. Like everyone could play better. Um, yes, there's no one that graded out as a hundred percent on that. You know, you did your assignment every single time. That's not happening. Uh, but. Fans that are blaming Keaton Slovis for the loss, I mean, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, he needs help. I said this on this analysis last night. He needs help. And I thought the offensive line played pretty well until about the fourth quarter. You know, he got some a lot of pressures then when they could pin their ears back, and that's what happens when you get one-dimensional. Um, but the offensive line opened some holes up for Keontae Ingram. They were, you know, when they were running the ball, they had that run-pass mix that you need. Um, it, it wasn't 50-50. But it was keeping Oregon State on their toes, and their runs were, you know, Keontae Ingram was getting chunk yardage at times, six, seven yards on the runs. So the offense was moving the ball well, but the, the what they were keeping up with Oregon State. You know, they were up 14-7. They take the lead. They score right before halftime, and USC just runs out of time on that drive. Yeah. You know, it was a nice drive. Hit Trig a couple times. Um, it, it felt like in the second half, things started compiling on USC. You get first drive, and I think it's – 28-17 at this point and because Oregon State scored on the first drive and it's third and one back-to-back false starts. Yeah. And you go that's third right. and 11 and you don't pick it up and you know that's the type of things that were killing USC and Keaton Slovis was overcoming some of those drops but you can't consistently, you can't have I th- I'm thinking there were probably seven balls that hit receivers hands. Now not all those are drops but they hit receivers hands you say catch them. Can you can you catch that? Some of the a couple of them might have been tough, but at least four of them were straight drops. Yeah, uh, Drake London dropped another one. You know he's he's been phenomenal this year, but that's one area where he struggled. He has okay. six drops. He actually leads the nation. You know was tied for the nation lead coming in. And he had one more last night. Now he's got a ton of targets, and that's part of it. Yeah, but still catch it's the ten, ball. Ten catches, but yeah, you know. I mean that the one he dropped last night was right in his hands, and they're lucky that one didn't kind of bounce up and get picked off and run back like Stanford. And then everybody's blaming Keaton Slovis for this throw when that's a catchable ball. Taj Washington, that's what did happen on the first interception. So he needs some help. Um. You know, and and that's the difference. And I think Gerard talked about it a little bit on the emergency podcast. Is that when Jackson Dart's in there, 
he may not need as much help because he can create a little bit more on his own. Yes. But Keaton Slovis was throwing the ball fine and hitting receivers and stuff, and you know not everybody was catching the ball, so that that didn't help. And you know I've talked about it in the past, but the tight end blocking has not been good. So you know, there's some things on the offense that need to come together where it's not all the blame shouldn't all be on Keaton Slovis, like I think some people want to put it on. Yeah, for for Slovis, can I do a little Slovis thing? Go for Keely. it. Go for um, it. Yeah. Okay, I get it. You just want to say, hey, Keaton Slovis is terrible. Put in Miller Moss. What you know. You're all. Everyone's excited about Jackson Dart. Good reason. He came in there. The problem is, this is an offense. They got to go to Staples. They need to find the easy button and just hit the easy <laughs> button. This is nothing's easy about this offense. Everything is like a grind. When you watched Oregon State going down the field, like Shotgun said, there was pretty straightforward. Like, okay, we're gonna like shift everyone to the right. We're gonna run right and follow our blocks to the right and. It's like when you draw a play up on the whiteboard and there's X's and O's and stuff. And you're like, this guy blocks him. This guy blocks him. Well, in that game, all those guys got blocked. Like, there's nobody like came off their block like Shotgun said. And there's this huge hole. And like the successful run, like a run, it like you're running for six yards. B.J. Baylor was a, was balling. By the way, he yep. would he was, should have had 200 yards rushing because he had a 44 yarder called back for like a phantom holding call. But he go you know, he has 158 yards rushing, 23 carries, rolling over people, but. He wasn't getting touched for the first six yards, and then if he gets another block or if he breaks a tackle, that's like a 12-yard or 15-yard run. And if not, it's like an eight-yard run, and now it's second and two. Things worked, and they did. And then when they would do that for a while, they'd do a misdirection, and someone would come off wide open on the other side, and there's a really easy pass. Uh, Chance Nolan can just throw it, and uh, boom, and uh, you know make a big play. We didn't see any of that stuff from USC. And to Shotgun's point, and this is similar to what we saw from Sam Darnold when he was around USC. When it doesn't seem to be working schematically and maybe the offensive line isn't playing well or, or whatever, having that mobile quarterback does – that's sort of an easy button thing where he can just go out and make something happen on his own. It's more about his athletic ability. And that, that's been USC's problem across the board. Like, well, the only two stops were like a couple of great plays by DBs that made interceptions. You need – like Jackson Dart could come out there and just make some stuff happen. I'm not putting that on Keaton Slopes. I'm putting that more on – What's going on with this offensive scheme? Why are you not putting your all Pac-12 quarterback, first team all Pac-12 from last year, preseason all Pac-12 this year, uh, why are you not putting him in in a better situation? This has to be easier for him, and you have to be able to make adjustments and you know get him into the flow of the game and you know give him some easy buckets if you're on the basketball court. It just wasn't happening, and you're relying on guys to make great contested catches. You do have athletes all over the place, and that's great. Keontae Ingram was running the ball really well. He had the first, I think, 11 carries of the game before uh, Vavai even you know, got a touch there. He caught some balls out of the backfield, but this is just too much of a struggle. You have to make things easier. It's college football. It just looks like you're relying on these guys to go out there and make plays, and that's really hard to do to sustain for a long drive. I also don't understand some of the complaints with Keaton Slovis from some of the fans. They're like, he's holding on to the ball too long. Well, when Jackson Dart makes a guy miss, he's holding on to the ball longer. <laughs> like, Keaton Slovis, what he was doing was keeping plays alive. And he did a really good job. I think he had, I think Oregon State had two sacks, and it was back to back. And that was in the red zone, unfortunately, for USC. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. And that was, you know, him coming around. Uh, you know, Cortland Ford got beat on one of them, just a quick rush around the edge to his blind side, and never had a chance to see him. Um, and then he had the. The sack fumble, I believe. I don't know if they classified it as a fumble or you know as what exactly it was the or as a sack or not. But you know, Oregon State was getting some pressure, but they weren't consistently getting Slovis on the ground. He was keeping plays alive. He was rolling out of the pocket and you know throwing on the run and hitting 
Taj Washington in the chest on an interception. That was him getting out of the pocket. You know, is he holding on to the ball? I think he was going through his progressions and going through his reads. I didn't feel like he was getting stuck on one receiver um, a, a bunch, you know, which has been something that people have been saying a sure. bunch about him. And Jackson Dart, you could say the same thing, that he locked in on Drake London. You know, no one says that about Jackson Dart when he comes in. No one says about the backup quarterback. Let's not say it's Dart, but no one mentions the same critiques about the backup quarterback that they say about the starting quarterback when, when things aren't going smoothly. So uh, some of the critiques I'm a little confused on you know, with people, but I, I thought that Slovis gave him a chance, but you know, it, it's what was happening on the other side of the ball was much more of an issue to me. You shouldn't be giving up 45 points to Oregon State. How many times no. has Oregon State scored 45 points against USC? Never. Last night. That was it. That was it. That's the only time that's ever happened. So, yeah, you shouldn't be giving up 45 points because if they give up 31 points even, and that's a lot. Yeah. USC's right in that game at the end, and suddenly it's a, you know much different. But, you know, when you give up 45 points, you give up seven touchdowns or five touchdowns, excuse me. In a row. It's it's hard for the offense to, you know, because then the offense starts pressing. You can't run the ball as much. You know, it just changes the dynamic of it. And that's what USC should have been able to do to Oregon State. USC goes up 14-7. If they score on the next drive, they had a chance. I think I think they had the ball when they were up 14-7. If they make it 21-7, now Oregon State has to start throwing the ball more. Now you force Chance Nolan to actually be a drop-back quarterback a little bit. Things change then. They can't rely on that run game over and over, and that would change the complexion of the game. And USC wasn't able to do that. They weren't able to get those stops in the first half, late in the first half. Those two drives where Oregon State went back-to-back down the field, and they weren't able to finish off their drives at the end of the first half either. So those are that's how a, a game dynamic completely changes. It can swing you know, one big play, you know, one series change like that, and one team suddenly is chasing – Versus being in the lead and it changes the dynamic and, you know, what teams are comfortable doing. And, you know, they could have made Oregon State be uncomfortable and they were never able to to take that lead and force that to happen. Mm-hmm. Overall, is it a fair statement to say that last night's game basically highlighted the issues that the next head coach will have to deal with when he inherits this football program? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, it ends some narratives about, you know, Oh, you know, Dante Williams should be the permanent head coach, you know, because he beat a terrible Washington State team. Like, no, this team needs a complete rehaul. He very well could be on staff. Anyone on the staff could remain on staff, whoever the next head coach is. But you knew this. And the fact that we heard from Keen Slovis last night in the press conference talking about you can't change the culture overnight. I mean, he was talking about these are things you can't fix overnight. Well, if we asked him that two weeks ago, he wasn't. They weren't changing everything then because this was the culture that was put in there. That's what was really kind of disturbing to me, guys. Because, I mean, they never came out and said, "Yeah, everything was terrible under the Clay Helton era." They were all. It was all glowing, like, "Hey, you know, this is we're like getting better. We're a championship football team." And now all the talk is like, "Well, we can't fix everything overnight." Like, well, so you're you're admitting that it was completely broken. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like, if you had to fix everything, right? I mean, but what is a player gonna say when his coach is actively there? I think it's much easier to speak once that coach is gone. Yeah, and it just didn't. I don't know if it felt weird to you guys, but they're basically saying they they tell they're telling everyone this all has to change, and you can't do it overnight. You can't say. Hey, stop walking on the logo. Stop wearing hats to the meetings. And that's going to make everyone accountable. And here we go. Like it's, this was, when you have poor leadership, it takes a long time. I mean, it's taken a while for USC and they're still recovering from 
you know, a bad president that had a whole bunch of scandals coming out, uh, bad athletic directors that didn't know what they were doing. They were just former football players with no experience. You're trying to fix that one piece at a time. And it, no matter what, and I, you know, you give the athletic department praise for what they were able to do building around Clay Helton. They good assistants, good staff, all this stuff, all the support staff, everything. But if you don't change the head man, it doesn't really matter. Everyone, you know, all the lieutenants that you hire around them, it's still the culture coming from the tippity top. And that's where it was coming from. It was from Clay Elton, one of the nicest guys you want to meet. But this team was soft. This team was not prepared to get into a knife fight. And, and Oregon State came in and did that. They got the brass knuckles out. They were just <laughs> going to do whatever they can. USC just, I mean, they just rolled over. And uh, that's going to be coming from the top. And you asked Dante Williams to change that. He's a great recruiter. He relates to his players well. He's never been head coach either. He's going to do what he can, but that's not what this doesn't need. That's like a Band-Aid when you need uh, you know, your arm cut off. Like This is something that you need to bring in the next head coach who's going to ch change everything. You rip up it all. Like everything. If your office is over here, nope, now it's over there. Like You go into that building and it's going to look uh, you know, six months from now, it better look nothing like it looks right now. You're fixing and changing everything. And that means there's going to be guys in the transfer portal. There means people are going to be fired. People, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. But if you want this football team to be successful, this isn't about some kind of Band-Aid. This is major surgery. Uh, you have to bring in someone and let them do whatever the hell they want to fix this. And it's going to be different. And so the way people have been doing things, it's come down from the top. It's come down from poor leadership from athletic directors, poor head coaching. I mean, you're hiring a head coach that wasn't a good position coach, wasn't a good coordinator, didn't have those kind of attributes, and you give them the keys to the Ferrari. Well, the Ferrari's all wrecked up now. You need to come in, someone, and completely rehaul, you know, rehab the whole thing, rehaul it all, just change everything. And I think that's where USC has to be. Unfortunately, there's still two months left in the season. There's still yeah. eight games left. What do you do? That's going to be up to Dante Williams, and he can do stuff. He can do some great things. It's still a good roster. He can fix some of this stuff, and it's a res it's going to be a resume builder for him. But make no mistake about it. Nothing. Do not talk about any kind of holdover of anyone that has anything to do with this football team. You bring in a coach and let them change whatever the hell they want, and it's going to be a lot of it. Ryan Rance. There you go. <laughs> Boom. I mean, in that sense, what do you expect for the next two months? How do you keep this <laughs> locker room together? <laughs> so – the good thing, Dante Williams is an excellent recruiter. He's been great relationships with these guys. I think you have to look everyone in the face. And you can't talk about, well, we didn't execute. Like, there were some, I mean, there's just some stupid stuff that were said. But what are you going to say? It's after a loss. People, you got to look around and go, we got pushed around by Oregon State. Like, literally, they they inflicted their will upon us. Do you want to take that? Like, I know you're bigger and stronger than that guy. And now they got play, they got players too. Like they practice all the time. They were practicing with a purpose and they were, and it didn't look like USC was, and they were playing with a purpose and it didn't look like USC was. They can, like they can go out and beat a bunch of teams. If you go out on the road and beat a Notre Dame team and you finish like eight and four, you're going to feel pretty good. You beat Notre Dame and you see, there's some things that you can accomplish. Of course, they haven't even lost in the Pac-12 South yet, yeah. which you don't even want to talk about, but you can get, you can get some successes from this season that you're a two and two right now, but you got to look everyone in the eye and they got to take this seriously. This is not the the kind of culture and the environment you were around before. And it's not easy. We talked about if you're a little kid and you know, uncle Joe lets you eat cookies or cake for, for dinner all the time. That's kind of fun for a while, but there's 
a lot of times kids will crave that discipline, but you don't always want it too. So do you push back? We had discipline for a week. I'm like, yeah, I don't really feel like doing that. I'm not going to go to these meetings. I'm going to be late anymore. <laughs> like you can get some of that now. And so I think a lot of this is going to be on Dante Williams, the entire staff to like, all right, you know, we are all, every single member of the USC Trojan coaching staff is auditioning for a job, whoever the next head coach is. Anyone could be kept and anyone could be let go. So it behooves them to get out there and coach their asses off. And it you know, behooves the players to do the same thing. You can, if you want to pack it in and say, oh, I'm just going to go to the transfer portal after the year or I'm going to shut it down. That might happen too. We're going to see some stuff. Like there's going to be some things happening. The, the starting roster, the starting team for last night is going to look different probably than six weeks from now. But there's going to be a lot of that happening. But I think this is going to be up to Dante Williams and the whole staff to try to do whatever they can to get this team to fight together and uh, and not roll over and die like we saw against the Beavers Saturday night. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Ryan, USC still hasn't played a South opponent yet. I mean, they could still end up in the Pac-12 championship, but after what we saw against Oregon State and Stanford, do you think that this team has it in them? No, not at all. Um, I haven't seen it. I mean, I have not seen any indication that this team is going to fight through and beat a, a UCLA or, the, or a Notre Dame or anything like the that. The thing is, the teams in the South aren't known for their passing. That's where USC strength is, is when they put seven DBs on. If everyone in the South was running the air raid or some run and shoot or something, USC would have a great chance. But UCLA wants to be physical and run the ball. Arizona State wants to run the ball, and they did really well against USC last year. You know, Arizona, they're trash. Don't worry about them. <laughs> but they played, they played Oregon pretty tough on the road. They're trash. Don't worry about them. Utah wants to run the ball. They finally got back to running the ball late in that game yeah. against Washington State, and that was the difference. So I think they'll – continue to progress on that. And Colorado don't doesn't really have a quarterback, so they want to run the ball. Hmm. So it, can USC they, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to man up, but they, they need they need guys to progress. They need Ishmael Softer's injury, his health to progress. They need him out there. They need a guy of that size, that potential. Um, they need Kobe Pepe to be back and being in the mix. They need Jamar Sakona to take a big step forward. I just don't think that the teams that are going to in the South that they're going to face that are going to want to run the ball and going to watch this tape in particular and say, let's run it straight down our throat. You've got a converted linebacker playing nose tackle, and you got Jacob Lichtenstein, who should be an end playing defensive tackle when you're putting both those guys on the field together. They need they need help. They don't have the big bodies to take up, so it, they got to figure out a way to attack their own weakness. All right, so how are you going to you know, put a Band-Aid on that. If you don't have a Brandon Peely, you don't have Jay Toya being gone now, Marlon Tupelo to Jay Tefele, you know, explosive players in the middle of that defense line, what are you going to do to make an adjustment? Can you, do you have to bring the middle linebackers? Do they have to, you know, be inside on those A-gaps more? Do you have to bring more guys in the box? Do you have to change which middle linebackers you're using? You know, someone, can you use, can you have someone just be super quick in the middle of the defensive line, like Hercules uh, Matafa was for yeah. Washington State? They've got to make some kind of adjustment. What they're doing right now is just not working. And just similar to what uh, you know we saw from Washington State with people bringing a lot of twists and stunts, I thought the offensive line did a really good job of taking a step forward with that against Oregon State because they tried to do that the same thing. And the offensive line picked all that up and, and took care of it. So now that people see this tape on the Oregon State game, they're going to want to try to run straight at USC. They've got to, you know, one, they got to man up yeah. because part of it is, all right, you're, you're man. It was a lot of man to man blocking. 
can you get off that block and go make a play? Or are you just going to sit there and take the block and get moved out of the way? So that's part of it. But they need guys to progress in the, in the middle of that defensive line as well. Football then, real quick, Keely. Yep. It's blocking and tackling, right? Like that's, I mean, we there's a lot and of fun stuff. <laughs> catching the ball is important. But you want to block, you want to tackle. And there's nothing more demoralizing to a football player than when someone's running on you. When they're, they're handing the ball off, their big guys are pushing your big guys around. They're making holes. And that other that little guy taking the football is running and running over people. That's demoralizing. And I think you have to – there's got to be a gut check here and just like, all right, we're not going to let that happen again. UCLA watches that tape. They are licking their chops. That's exactly what they want to do. Um, there's The teams that want to do that. Utah, they want to do that kind of stuff. So Shotgun's got a great point. The Pac-12 South teams, most of them do want to run the football on you. And USC showed they can be run on 322 rushing yards uh it was 7.6 yards per play wow. or is that a yards per rush that was yeah that was that was yards per play um and it was what was the yards per rush 6.3 yards per rush there was almost nine like nine and a half yards per rush earlier in the game uh that's getting pushed around and you can't that's something you have to take pride in like hey guys in the meeting if it's a players only meeting whatever like i don't care what happens they're gonna throw for 500 yards we are not getting run on anymore like you got to come up and do something and we'll see if usc is able to respond and do that well this is why i was asking is if this just highlighted overall problems because it almost feels like the recruiting issues that we've been talking about for years are finally coming out ahead where you don't have the defensive line depth where you have a couple injuries and you can still fill that up with the offensive line you're going to a more air raid scheme to help out your offensive linemen is this where you know the poor recruiting that we've kind of sounded the alarm for for seasons is now showing itself on the field. Exactly. Yeah. And I would think, and this goes back to like the poor leadership stuff. It's like, well, why was this poor recruiting? Well, you had Neil Calloway as your offensive line coach. And then you had Tim Drevno as your running back coach. And, the, you know, we could have this show, pull the show up from three years ago. We're like, why is Neil Calloway the offensive line coach? And like, well, you know, what? and then now there's a problem, you know, and then why is Kenichi Deze like you know, your strength coaches? What's he doing there? And he was the defensive line coach. Like there was bad decisions made by poor leaders earlier and it doesn't always mean like so when we say it on the show like so we say something right now and there's a problem three years from now it's because yeah because we talked about this this was a problem um and these are the things i mean we it's not like this is uh you're changing you know history or anything or you know it's a different look at it we talked to you about those things like they're making poor decisions here with coaches assistant coaches what they were doing how they were recruiting and you're like, okay, well, you can get by. And, oh, well, Austin Jackson, he's a first-rounder. And Elijah Vera Tucker, he's a first-rounder. Well, here you are now. Who's the first-rounder now? And so, yes, I think, Keela, you're right. But it's about these prior decisions from the poor leadership that, you know, the, you, the, the bad hires turn to these bad decisions. And you're still seeing the results of those. It's like if you don't pay parking tickets for, you know, every week, you know, every week for months, yeah, okay, you get a parking ticket, you throw in your, your, glove your glove box, boom, boom, boom. Then when you get the boot on, like, okay, so there was a problem that started like a year ago, and now you got the boot. It wasn't just because you made a bad decision today. It's for the bad decisions from yesterday that you're, pay you're you know, having to uh, get called up on today. When they fired Clancy Pendergast, and there was the, who are they going to hire for defense coordinator? We had this discussion, and it was, who would want to come to USC with what's going on and Clay Helton? And I said at the time, I was like, it's going to be a, a job that will get some people that will be interested because you had five-star on the defense line, five-star linebacker, five-stars in the, in, the, in the secondary. Well, there's where's those five-stars at? Yeah. I mean, you got Drake Jackson, you got Corey Foreman on the edges, but in the middle of the line, you don't have five-stars anymore. You don't have five-star linebackers. Um, you, you know, it, 
and the question was asked in his press conference today, is Rajon Davis a potential option going forward? It, we may start seeing more young guys, you know, get rotated in and, you know, but they've got to prove themselves a practice. That's one of it. Yep. Corey Foreman, you know, he's been dinged up. You know, that's what, what the coaches have told us. You know, he got some more playing time in this game, but on one of his first plays in, he bit really hard on a, on a read option. Quarter and he's supposed to have the edge. Quarterback went for 15 yards on the outside. So you know those young guys got they've got to progress really quickly. And that's you know that's the way this team can be a viable candidate in the Pac-12 South is if those young guys start taking a step forward and if this team kind of comes together and says we're not going to let that happen to us ever again. You know I I would have sat the you know, defense on the field and made them look at all the stats on the <laughs> big board before we went inside or something like burn that into your eyes. I want you to remember that um, type of thing because they've got to come together and do that. And, you know, I've said that Keaton Slovis is not the problem on the offense, but it might need when Jackson Dart is healthy, it might need the offense, the offense and the team in general might need that spark that Jackson Dart yeah. provides. That's something that, is a question mark right now to me too. Where's the spark for this team? Um, you know, can it be the defense? If they created some plays at Washington State. Can they be the ones to, to be the spark? You know, like Talano Hufunga was last year, just flying all over the place and creating so many plays on his own. Is there someone to do that right now? And you look at that fourth quarter, and there just wasn't a lot of energy on that on that bench. No. You know, where's the juice at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only juice I saw in the stadium was really in like the fourth quarter when like USC was already down. What was it? I mean, it was like forty-five, uh, whatever. Like, they were down like three touchdowns, seventeen. Yeah, and then and they got. I think they got. I don't know. Whatever. They 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 sort of got. They got a touchdown. It's, there was some momentum. Like people were excited, and when they did the onside kick and stuff, it didn't work. Uh, maybe there was an interception too. Maybe it was Jalen Smith's Jaylen interception. Um, there was actually some fire then. Now most people had left the stadium right now, but there were students that were getting into it. But there wasn't there wasn't much of a spark most of the game, and they just yeah. sort of were waiting for something good to happen. No one was going out and making it happen. It was just like you're kind of waiting around, like something good's going to happen to us. Like we're cool. Like nope, didn't happen. So, and and that's what a dominant run game does to you. You know, you keep like all right, we'll we'll make it, people, and it just constantly. Bears down on yeah. you over and over, and you just slowly as the it's game like jab, progresses, jab, jab, you're just jab. like you see the shoulders start slumping a little bit more, a little bit more as the game progresses. That's what a strong running game can do, and that's what USC doesn't have right now. I know some people were complaining about the run game in the comments and stuff. I thought the run game was fine. Yeah. I mean, Vi and um, Keontae Ingram, I think, combined in like 14 carries for like 91 yards or 16 carries, something like that. So that's perfectly fine, and both of them caught some passes and had some yards. So that's what you that's what you need out of the run game in this offense. The other pieces of the offense have to be better. Best run best run play was Keaton Slovis fumbled the snap, and Keontae Ingram picked it up on the the bounce. Great photos from that play. <laughs> Did you get some yeah, great photos? Great. Flexing he on him, runs it in for a touchdown. See, I couldn't see from my point of view in on the field, but I could just hear what was happening. And it was like, oh, oh. It was like a it bounce like, pass, and he yeah. runs it in. I was like, yeah, there you go. You know, that's, that's what you want. It was interesting. All right, I want to jump into some callers. Yeah, we got to do callers. Uh, questions. They've been patient sorry. in the queue. I'm sorry, we've also had like 50 people call in since then. So I'm sorry if you didn't get through. We'll clear the queue for y'all. Our first caller is probably missing us. He hasn't called us in a while. He was the first in the queue. It's Dave from Iowa. Who else would it be? You are live on Tunnelvision. Hello. Hey, Tunnelvision. Dave from Iowa. First off, you know, disappointing loss. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about and comment on was uh, 
uh, Gerard's perspective on the, the coaching candidates from uh, the emergency podcast that uh, him and Ryan did at like probably two in the morning or something. Mm. But so he talked about how in terms of the hot names, kind of based off the big wins and his, his uh, example was Matt Campbell. He lost to Iowa. Iowa and you know me being the the lonely Trojan in a in the fields of corn and Hawkeyes, it made me think. What do you guys think about Kirk Ferentz as the next USC head coach? I mean, hey, he cares about the offensive line. They run the ball, so hey, I'm pretty sure that'll bring back RBU. And then hey, we, we may even get the greatest the greatest position of all time, tight end. You, I mean, I don't know if you guys were watching Sunday Night Football, but George Kittle literally said where where he went to college, tight end. You. He implied Iowa. So maybe if Kirk Ferentz would, you know, come to USC, he, he, you know, he could bring that. He could bring that. What are you guys' thoughts? Thanks, Dave, for that Thanks, one. Dave. Uh, yeah, and, and Matt Campbell actually lost to Baylor uh, this past weekend, too. So that wasn't so good. But he's still, obviously, just losing a couple games. He's still a great candidate. What he's been able to do at Iowa State, um, they've only won nine games in their history, like three times, you know, so uh, including last year. But yeah, Kirk Ferentz is one of those dudes that like just seems like he's a lifer there. Like I don't think like yeah. the NFL looked at him. His stock has kind of gone up and down, and uh, he's just been there forever. I don't think that's someone. It's like you're gonna get Pat Fitzgerald out of Northwestern. Like no, I, I don't think he's gonna be going anywhere. It's like I mean, great college coach, but I wouldn't think that's gonna be a candidate. Yeah, and he's another one of those coaches, and maybe Matt Campbell is that guy, and maybe this is the Big Ten in general. But get him to a quality position, top fifteen position. Can you get him to the top five? That's been the question with Kurt Ferentz for you know the lifetime of his his contract at uh, at Iowa. He's getting paid so much money, or at least at one point he was the highest paid coach in, in college football, I think, or top three. And it was like, okay, he's getting us in the top ten, but he's never getting us to that national championship picture, you know. And you see a guy that can only get to a certain you know, yeah. ceiling. There's a ceiling with at Iowa football, you know. Like there's just it's just the way college football is. The good thing about USC is the ceiling is there's no, you know, there's no ceiling. Like you can, you can do whatever you want at USC, where if you're at Iowa, Iowa state, like there's going to be limitations. Now you might like the lifestyle better or whatever, but there are limitations, but you would say the same thing about Clemson five years ago. There's yeah, there's limitations to how high you can get at Clemson. Well, they've surpassed those, but they've won national championships. Like, you know, in my lifetime, you know, like. Clemson, what, 1980? Yeah, see, I was alive then. Yeah, we weren't. We weren't there, <laughs> okay. so not in our lifetime. And it, the game is much different than it was 35 years ago. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, what did Clemson do from 1985 when I was born until 2015, 2010, we'll say? Yeah. You know, you wouldn't say, oh, well, yeah, they got limitation. There's a ceiling to where you can get it at Clemson. You would say that about Iowa. There's other programs you say quality, but you can't. Yeah, well, we can move on. I think Keely wants us to move on, but I think they're in a better <laughs> but I'm recruiting saying ground the than special, where Iowa is. That's the, the special problem. There's coaches at Iowa, like where you are recruiting wise and stuff. You can't get it all. Be, the... It would be easier at USC, yes, but the special coaches can take you know whatever program. Yeah. Um, and Kirk Ferentz, maybe he's a guy that can get you to that ceiling of a top ten, but not into the college football playoff. I don't know. I just think it's hilarious how I give you guys the wrap it up sign off camera and everyone goes, Keely's telling us to wrap off. It's like, there's a reason why I'm doing it off camera. It's always him. I never do it. Yeah, okay, okay. Because I get it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, we have, I believe it's a new caller for the show. It's a caller from Vancouver, Washington. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. My name is Leandre. Hello. And um, you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, so 
I was going to say, first off, Ryan, I agree with you, man. The defense was very poor last night, and I agree with you, uh, all three of you guys. It was very poor. I ain't going to lie. It was very depressing watching it, especially because I played football in Oregon. I played football, um, high school football, of course. But uh, I have two questions from you guys. So the first question is um, why doesn't fans understand just because Clay Helton is now fired, it's just like basketball, it's just like all sports. If a coach is fired, it doesn't mean that instantly everything's going to be changed. It's going to take time. And that's something I see with all these fans. They just expected a um, complete turnover and change. But that's unrealistic unless the team is perfect. But no team is perfect. And we're seeing that right now in college football. And then the second question is, how come with Jackson Dart, Graham Harrell is willing to give him read option plays, but with Keaton, why doesn't he give him read option plays? Thanks, Leandre, for the, the questions there. Um, yeah, I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't fix There's There's been years of neglect around the USC football program. It's not going to be fixed overnight. I think when Mike Bone came in, years of neglect from the athletic department. It wasn't going to be fixed overnight. There's low-hanging fruit. There's some things you can fix right away. You can say, we don't want to play an FCS school. We're going to change that out, and we're going to play someone else. I mean, there was a funny thing last night. For, by the way, anyone that came to the tailgate yesterday, we had our first USCfootball.com tailgate in a Shouts while. Shouts to you guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for that. Um, and Brandon Sosna, big props for him, uh, USC's chief of staff, coming out and meeting a lot of people. He probably had 15 hundred people tell him Urban Meyer should be the next head coach. You know, he, I think he handled it all very well. Um, but they see things, they're little things that need to be fixed. People on the peristyle talked about lighting up the, the peristyle end of the Coliseum, backlighting it. And he saw that on the, the message board and made, put the lights out there and made it happen. Like there's low hanging fruit, things that you can fix, uh, you know, cutting the, the lawn of the, the football field with actual people that run, you know, stadiums instead of the people that cut the grass at the library. There's things you can fix, but you're not going to fix everything right away. And I think it's the same thing with the football program. I think Dante Williams fixed some things that you identified, but it's not going to be overnight. Like I said, this is going to take a complete overhaul. As far as like, we've seen some read option stuff from Keaton Slovis. There's one drive where he ran like four times or something, but it's not been the norm. And, Maybe before it was like you were worried about him getting injured. If there's a healthy Jackson Dart, maybe they run more stuff for him because then they know Dart can come in. I'm not sure. No, no you're going to run different plays based on the skill sets. Um, you know, they do run read option, but it's it's RPO stuff. It's run pass option for Keaton Slovis. That's where you, you're looking to run. You're reading the end. And if the run's not there, then you're throwing that quick screen to the other side of the wide receiver. That's the stuff you're going to use him more than trying to run him because that's it's it's not a strength to his. So why are you going to use it now? Occasionally you use it to keep the defense honest, and they've done that some this year. But it, it's not something that you're going to do routinely. When Dart came in, they did they have you know they had planned it having a Dart package, which would include some RPOs. That first play that he came in, they sent Drake London in motion, and you know. The read option was with Dart reading the end with Drake London running the ball, potentially. So, you know, and the, the end went after Drake London, so he took off up the middle and picked up the yards. I think it, when you bring in a different quarterback, just as similar as, 
you know, if you have Malcolm Epps in the game versus Gary Bryant in the game in the slot, you're going to run a different play for that guy. So uh, there are some things that are just base stuff that everyone learns and everyone does. And then there's other stuff that, you know, are going to be specific for specific guys' uh, skill sets. Mm-hmm. All righty, let's go to – we have a couple more callers in the queue. And just a friendly reminder, please keep your questions brief so we can run through all you guys. Iowa does not stop calling. We got Coley from Iowa on the line. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Keely, thanks for having me. I'll make this brief. Ryan, you made an excellent point. Hats off to Oregon State. They came in focused with a purpose. My question is simple. You play Pac-12 Colorado in Boulder. What are your concerns with the Carl Durrell-led team? The guy hasn't coached, I mean, much in the last 10 years. Uh, do you feel confident or with this setback, do you have more questions about USC or uh, questions about Colorado? Thanks for your time. As always, go Irish. <laughs> Thanks, hey, Coley. Coley. Thanks, Coley. Yeah, no, I think USC has got to be looking in the mirror. They got to focus on themselves. Um, this Colorado team, you know, played Texas A&M tough, uh, but the offense just has been pretty poor. They can run the ball. All right. Uh, they haven't been dynamic throwing the football around. I mean, to get blanked at home, by Minnesota, 30 to nothing. And then Minnesota goes out the very next week and loses to Bowling Green. Like, there's some big issues uh, in Boulder right now. So this might be a a case where, just like at Washington State, you kind of use an inferior team to get things right. But USC can't overlook anybody right now. Like, literally, when, when Oregon State was running those, you watch the way Oregon State was able to run the football. And Colorado can run the ball. I mean, they got the, the, you know, the, MVP of the league, uh, offensive MVP of the league on their squad. I mean, they can run the football effectively. You looked at what Oregon State was able to do. And when we watch practice and it's like, what are you doing? You have the first team offense going against the scout team, the blocking stuff. It's not going, people aren't going full speed. It's like, this guy blocks this guy, this guy, and it kind of moves this hole out. That's what it looked like. It looked like USC was like a scout team that Oregon State was running against. And you can't have that. I think, I think Colorado can take advantage of that. And what Colorado is going to do, they're going to muck up the game, make it ugly, uh, you know, run the football, control the clock a little bit. And who knows? It'll be close at the end, and maybe they can make a play and win the game. I mean, USC should win this one, but I don't think they can take anybody lightly the way they're playing right now. No, they can't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We had two more callers in the queue. We have a lot of people commenting, which thank you for. Uh, If you want to put some more questions in, that way we can see them. Uh, So when we get back to the questions, we can answer them. That will be great. Next one is Brandon from Minnesota. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Mind if I just add one quick little question to my first question? Sure, go for it. Just like an additional question. Okay. Do you think Keaton Slovis is a a good enough leader. I feel like he doesn't talk his team up at all. He's just by himself on the sidelines. And I feel like that's just a bad quality to have. He doesn't seem to be able to get his team rallied up. And the second question, do you think Todd Orlando has issues adjusting to offenses when things are not working? Thanks. Um, I'll do the Todd Orlando one first. I, I agree with like when he talked to you shotgun, I think he was right. I think he tried different things. I think they did try some stuff. But it's it's tough when wherever you're moving, like your guys are getting blocked and just and they're not coming off blocks. Um, I, I think he's someone that does try different fronts and he's tried some different things and obviously nothing worked. It's one of the probably the worst defensive performances we've seen in quite a while. It's it's up there. The Christian McCaffrey one, um, you know, Oregon from a few years ago. I mean, there's been some bad ones, but yeah, I think he's tried some things, but it just didn't work. I, I don't think he's someone that doesn't. 
on the offense, I think there's some less adjustments sometimes. But on defense, I think he tried some things, but obviously none of them worked. I mean, if you're talking about worst performances in recent history, I think that Oregon game where uh, it was like 63 to 49 or something. Mariotto threw for like a bazillion yeah, yards. That one would probably be up there because USC in the third quarter, that was the loudest I've heard the Coliseum. And in the third quarter, you could tell USC fans were like, we're never going to catch up because we're never going to be able to stop them. And yeah. that's literally what it was because USC was down by seven and something happened. They got a field goal or something. Like, okay, we're never catching up then. Yeah. Uh, so I think that one's definitely up there. There's, and that was, it felt very similar. It's just, they didn't have an answer. We're trying different things, doing different things. Nothing is working. That's what it was last night. So oh, with Keaton Slovis's leadership, um, I would prefer a more vocal quarterback. You know, I would like someone going up and down the lines, but people's personalities are people's personalities. Yeah. So it's hard for you to chastise someone for not having it. I think their other personalities work better, but Sam Darnold wasn't a guy that ran down the sideline and cheering every fist bumping everybody or anything. And it worked out okay for him as far as leadership goes. So yeah, you got to be the the thing is you have to be honest with yourself, you know, and and whoever you are. Like if if one of us were were acting very different on the show or whatever you do with your job, like yeah, that doesn't come off as genuine, you know. Yeah. Like if I'm trying to be, you know, if Keely's trying to be the smart ass that I am, like you know, it's not going to work as much. Or if if I'm gonna try to be like you know everything's planned oh, out, like this is not the special way for you. Yeah, this this not, this not I can't I can't do what Keely does. Like we have to be. <laughs> We have to be ourselves, and Keaton's going to be himself. It's a different kind of leader for sure, but the problem is, I, and I think to your point, the way this team is now, you lose your head coach, and there's a lot of uncertainty stuff going on. They probably could use, and it doesn't have to be Keaton Slovis. It's nice if it's your quarterback, but they need someone to kind of galvanize and bring people together. They need, like, the Chris Hawkins who's going to call, like, the player-only meeting or whatever, like, someone like that to, like, hey, guys. This, this ain't happening. Like we're, we're, This is getting fixed. I don't care what the coaches say. We're taking this on ourselves, whatever it is. And I don't know who that person uh, is going to be if they have that person right now. Yeah, I think that's where if they actually want to turn the season around and it for you know do something potentially special with the season instead of it being terrible, it can go two ways. But I think for it to go the positive way, I think it has to start within the locker room with the players you know, getting on each other. And, you know, the accountability stuff that Dante Williams is doing is a positive step forward from where the program is at. But I think the players have to be holding each other accountable even to another degree. Uh, it starts with your leadership within a team for a team to really blossom, I think. And let me make something real clear. This I'm not putting this on the players. Like, these are guys that are doing this, you know, for the love of the game. They, you know, get scholarships and all that stuff for sure. But they're not getting paid. They're not getting paid millions of dollars. Like Clay Hilton's gotten $15 million to walk away from this mess. So, I mean, this is, I'm not putting it on them. The problem is they were failed. The adults in the room failed them. Like they, they've had a lot of horrible decisions being made by people that are getting paid a lot of money above them. And they're sort of dealing with the aftermath of it. But the only way out of this, I think is going to be um, they have to take control of it. And that, you're asking a lot of these guys to do this, but Someone comes in and steps up and like, hey, we're going to have a players-only meeting. We're going to do this. Here's what's going to go on you know, from now on. Like, We're all going to hold each other accountable. I think Dante Williams talked about, hey, we're going to punish the roommates and stuff too. Uh, whatever it is. Like, But I think coming from the adults is going to be a little bit different because they've heard so much crap coming from them. And you know, you sort of get deaf ears after a while. I think the players are going to have to do this. And and if they don't, you know, that's that's fine. Like, you can't ask them to do all this. I mean, you're asking them to do a whole lot. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, that's the position they're in now. But I don't see this this team turning around and playing 
more inspired football unless there's going to be um, not like a player revolt, but really just like leadership coming from the players. Unification. Yeah, th- yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to our last caller in the queue. It's Joe from Riverside. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Well, hi there, you guys. I'm first time caller, and I'm glad to be on the show. I'm a long time SC fan, all the way back to the '60s. Wow. And um, my question, my question for you guys is, why doesn't anybody talk about Graham Hill? I don't know what kind of a game plan that guy ever has for any game, because he seems to just throw out plays and says, "Oh, this should work. This should work." I know he gets scouting reports. Why doesn't he use them? And why doesn't the head coach overturn some of the plays that he calls? There's some plays there that are questionable that demoralizes the offensive line. He runs down to the five-yard line. What does he do? Throw four times. What does that tell the lineman? You know, you understand what I mean? Yep. Yeah, thanks for the, the call there. We, 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 to be fair, I think we talk about Graham Harrell a significant amount uh, on the show. And yeah, I mean, for looking at, you know, schematically – things seem to be working really well in 2019. They're just putting up points. Like, that's all I'm saying is like, if you're going to run an, an offense that's not going to be super popular with the fan base, you better score a bunch of points. They're not doing that now. They're not scoring a bunch of points. So if you want to run the wing tee, you want to run the air raid, you want to run the run and shoot, uh, you know, eye formation, whatever you want to do, score points, and then people will say, okay, I can deal with it. But if you're running something like, people would love to see what Oregon State did at USC, where you're, you're, you're running the ball, you're pushing people around. I mean, the Pete Carroll years, it wasn't just throwing the football over the place. They did that, but they also were able to be physical and, and run the football. USC fans would love it. But if you're scoring 50 points and all you did was throw the football around, I think they could deal with it. You're not scoring 50 points, and so that's why they're, they're not dealing with it real well. Part of the reason. Yeah, a lot of people have said Slovis has regressed, and maybe that's true. Actually, I think more so the truth is the offense has regressed. Yes. And part of that is when you bring in something new, teams have to adjust to it. But now that the tape's out, where's the extra wrinkles? Where's the new stuff to keep teams off balance, to keep them from being on top of everything that you that you do? You know, if your playbook's going to be super thin, you still got to throw in an extra play every once in a while, whether it's a trick play or whether it's just something that's a counter off of something you already do. Um, you know, and we saw some wrinkles against Washington State. Um, you know, I haven't got to look at the offense close enough in, the, in this game to see and Oftentimes, as far as wide receiver routes, it's difficult on the broadcast copy not having the All-22. But I think the, it's more that people have caught up with USC's offense, and they've yet to make that next adjustment to to keep teams on their heels. And maybe that's the same thing with Todd Orlando's defense, because you, you've seen in his history, uh, his first year as a defense coordinator places, they've taken a really big step forward, and then the second year kind of take a step, regress a little bit and take a step back. And maybe that's teams – not understanding where the blitzes are going to be coming from until the second year. Okay, we remember what they did here, and we've got more tape on it. Uh, so that's a little bit of concern to me, is where these offense and defenses at versus what teams have seen on tape and now are preparing for versus what maybe they were preparing for last year or the year before that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Joe, for the call. We appreciate it. And thanks to all the callers. Let's jump into some questions. It's almost the top of the hour, so let's make this a pseudo rapid fire. Rapid we fire, got a rapid yes. fire, yeah, sorry. Uh, Jasper there's Smith, a lot going on. Yes, there's yeah. a lot going on. Jasper Smith said, how can Taj Washington stay in the game after all of his drops? Isn't there other guys who can come in? It's a valid question. Yeah, I don't know if he was like benched or whatever, but that, yeah, he had I mean, three drops for sure. When they went 
two wide receivers and two tight ends. It was Gary Bryant and Drake London. Um, I don't know if that was from the very beginning of the game. I just noticed it at one point. Um, they need more production out of the wide receivers just in general. You yeah. know, they need more separation. Uh, even if teams know what route, I mean, know the concepts that you're going to run, they probably don't know exactly what route you're running on every play, so you can still be able to beat guys on your own. So they need more. Uh, I think they need to use Gary Bryant a little bit more vertically. Uh, last night, I think he had five catches for like 22 yards or something like that. That big shot before halftime at Washington State was a game changer. Yeah, They need to get that. And now they took a lot of vertical shots. Uh, that was one of the other things was in the chat. Slovis never throws it down downfield. Uh, they took a lot of shots from Michael Trigg, Drake London, Taj Washington, back shoulders. There were a lot of a pass interference. Like, There's a lot of pass interference. If you added all the pass interference slash holding calls to, to Keaton Slovis's numbers, his numbers would look ridiculously good if you add those as completions too. Um, and I feel like the Pac-12 refs, like when you looked at it and you're like, oh, they kept the penalties down last week, you're like, well, the, the Pac-12 refs didn't throw a lot of – it's either – a lot of penalties are very few. That's just kind of how they are. And it felt like they made it through halfway yeah, in that yeah. game. And they had like 12 penalties in the first half. And they're like, all right, unless it's egregious, let's not throw any more penalties on, on Oregon State. Because there were still some things going on. Like Jonah Monheim got hit after a whistle and got knocked over a pile by a DB. Uh, Gary Bryant did the same thing to that same DB you know, later in the game. Like, they stopped calling certain things. There was a lot of holding call and a lot of defensive holding and pass interference stuff called, but there were also opportunities there. One USC drive, they threw a deep ball to Gary Bryant. You couldn't really see it on the broadcast, but on the sideline, you could definitely see, uh, I think it was Rajon Wright for um, Oregon State, grabbed Bryant by the shoulder and yanked him backwards, and, and then come. suddenly it was an overthrow, <laughs> yeah. and they didn't call it at all, and that would have been, you know, that would have kept the drive alive, and that would have changed things. Uh, so, you know, there were... It's Pac-12 reps. It's yeah. what it is. That was very rapid fire. But real quick, penalties. <laughs> 14 for 154 yards for Oregon State. USC had 11 for 98, and a lot of those were later. Uh, but USC had uh, 32 first downs. Nine of them were from penalties. Like I mean, There were three defensive holdings on one drive. Oregon State had against USC like that. I've never seen that before. And like there the, could have been more. Yeah, I mean it was insane. That, that was basically their defensive philosophy. Like grab up, wrap up those guys. Don't let them get a free. And that's one of the reasons why Slovis was holding on the ball so long. Like some of those plays where he's like waiting, waiting, waiting. Were plays where there were penalties called. Um, so I think they got away with it a little bit more. I don't think they made a big adjustment at halftime. I think they, they kept just, holding and like you know they're yeah. eventually not going to call these or something. So. Wow. But three on one drive, like I've never seen that. Like I mean, ref, three defensive holding. Like, ref's arms get sore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a couple questions about Kyle Ford. Where was he and why was he not dressed out on Saturday? I know we got uh, injury updates from Dante and his Sunday night presser shock. What did he have to say? Yeah, he said Kyle Ford has been dealing with a knee injury um, and he's been dealing with it for a couple weeks. And when they were at the hotel, he basically let the staff know that it was bothering him and he wasn't going to be able to go. Uh, similar to Chris Thompson. He did not play in the game, the safety, which maybe he would have been a good option. He would have been in on the packages that USC used to receive Nomura and some of those heavier packages with six down linemen, outside linebackers. Um, that's a package he had been in on before. He wasn't dressed, and uh, Dante said in a similar vein that he's, been, uh, he's had a leg injury that's been bothering him a little bit the last couple of weeks and you know wasn't able to go in this game. We got a question from Roger who said, do you think it's more important to hire a new head coach soon slash ASAP or is it more important to wait to get the right guy? The right guy, for sure. Um, 
Get the right that guy quick, though. That'd be ideal. yeah. You'd like it to be faster. <laughs> um, you'd like and if it's someone that's going to finish their season, but you can come to an agreement and make an announcement. At least you can start setting the stage for what's going on there because you do have the early signing period. But yeah, the right guy is the most important thing. It's going to be, you hope, a, a decision that's made for years to come, not like when you hire Sark and he's going to last for 16 games or whatever. Like you hope this is going to be something that lasts for a, quite a while. Bill on Facebook wanted to know, on the subject of Oregon State during the game, a thought occurred to me, could Jonathan Smith be a candidate? He seemed to be in control the entire game. Uh, I mean, he has a losing record at Oregon State, but he's a well-regarded coach. We we said on this show, I said this show on Thursday, pound for pound, like maybe one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the Pac-12 for what he has to work with up there. He showed completely outcoached USC. I mean, completely, uh, every every phase of the game. Um, but he's, a, you know, he's an Oregon State guy, and uh, he played at Oregon yeah. State. I don't think he's... I don't think he would leave, but... Even with the record that he has at Oregon State, like he wouldn't be a terrible candidate. I would say that. No, yeah, I mean, you, um, you know, you would love to have much better credentials um, when you're hiring at USC, but it wouldn't be a terrible hire. You know, he was the offense coordinator, co-offense coordinator at at Washington, and since he's left, that offense yeah, that has not been the gone. same. So. Yeah. We had a question from Sid who said, has anyone mentioned the fact that USC offensive play callers on the sideline started to cover up the, the, with a tarp mid-third quarter? How embarrassing is that that the, they started uh, to play the their stealing signals game? That's actually something they've been doing since Washington State. Yeah, so that wasn't a mid-game type of thing that they did there. They started uh, Washington State. They actually had the uh, barriers up keeping the press box from looking down on it. So the coaches that were up there. So they even uh, practice that in practice. Like they do yep. that in practice too. It was interesting. Like uh, the guy that signals in, I can't think of his name, but uh, he was like trying to usher people out of the way at some points to, to, to be able to get the signal into Keaton's Lovis. Um, Graham said, not Graham Harold, Graham Cook, did not being able to run the ball make the defense more tired since they were on the field longer? Uh, USC ran the ball, like we said, they ran the ball pretty good, you know. Um, Gautta Ingram was effective running the football. They kind of got away from it. Um, not but, choosing to run the ball, I think. But, again, that's because they were behind. Yeah. But, you know, but they, I think they could have run the football more. But well, they got behind and they got away from it. But that was something that was actually working fairly well. Like, they, USC, neither team was getting stopped early on unless you, you know, you threw the interception or whatever. Like, it, there wasn't a lot of stops happening Early, but I think Oregon State made some better adjustments on defense, and USC started pressing. They got away from the run and just sort of forced to pass the ball, and then it just wasn't wasn't working. I think the defense got tired because they were getting the ball run down their throat. The yeah, game. that that probably had more. Yeah, to early do. on, it was like literally averaging over nine yards a rush. It was crazy, you know. BB3 says, why does Slovis refuse to hit running backs in stride out of the backfield? Slovis never looks to hit the tight end or running backs. What air raid offense doesn't use all available receivers? Ingram needs to get the ball in space. I mean, Ingram had, I mean, you got the stats there. Yeah, he had like three or four catches. catches. Croman Hook had a couple catches. Jude Wolf had a catch. Trigg was targeted, but just didn't um, catch the ball. Trigg had three yeah. catches, I think. Wolf had two. Epps was targeted twice, didn't get any. Croman Hook had two catches. Vavai had two catches. Uh, Ingram had four catches. So, um, yeah, I mean, those guys were catching balls. There was, you know, they were targeted. I don't know about refusing to hit a guy in stride. Like, I don't think he was saying, like, I'm going to throw it behind you so you can't <laughs> run. <laughs> I'm going to make you work harder for these yards. Uh, no. I, I think part of it is the a lot of times the running backs are just the, the check down, and they're kind of, you know, if they're not in blocking and they get outside, they're just kind of standing there. So it's not like they're in motion, you know, trying to run up the sideline or anything, trying to hit them in stride like, like a wheel that. route or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But we saw, I think it was uh, 
Lindsey turned like he ran a wheel. Yeah, he ran a wheel route. That USC's defense was not prepared on that play. Kalen Bullock was supposed to be in coverage probably on that one, and he was looking over to Chase Williams when the ball was snapped, and then the guy went that way. Kalen followed someone inside, but he wasn't. There were multiple defenders weren't ready. Like USC just wasn't ready on that snap. Yeah, that's like that's the easy button stuff. We haven't seen much of that. Um, We've seen USC's defense give up plays, and that's okay. Like there's college players. You're gonna like they're gonna be some scheme thing that looks a little bit like the, what we already did. We try to stop it, and someone's coming out the other way. Oops, and uh, it's a big play. Like that's gonna happen in college football, but it's not really happening for USC on offense. It seems to be happening uh, to USC, not uh, them doing it to other people. Tim on YouTube said it's clear that USC is in big trouble against Notre Dame and UCLA unless Sofshire comes back. Have there have there been any hints that he'll play, and will he have time to play himself into shape before Notre Dame? <sighs> He's not even fully practicing. No, yeah. like at this point, like I would be surprised, like maybe after the bye week or something, like in, for Notre Dame. But like, maybe. I mean, it, it's not tr- it's not trending that way. Like it could pretend, like if things start turning around, we see him at practice this week, then maybe by Notre Dame he'll be playing. But at this point, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's just it's not even been close. It doesn't seem like it's close at all. Big T37 said, with all due respect to the upperclassmen, is it time to start playing the younger players across the board to get that experience? Thanks for the hot dogs, cookies, and beer. It's so crazy. I kept asking people, like, what's your name? Because, like, or your username, because I only recognize you by that. So it's weird seeing people in real life. But sorry, that's all. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad you could enjoy the uh, the tailgate. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> is it time to start playing the younger oh, I've players? I've seen that a bunch. Um, see, I mean, so Dante Williams is saying, you know, we, he was asked about, you know, Rajon Davis today and it was like, it's a position battle everywhere, blah, blah, blah. But if we start seeing that more, then I think you could tell that this is a directive to, hey, we're preparing for the future. But I don't think he's going to give up on now. He still wants to play all the veterans or whatever to get to get wins now. But as the losses mount, I think the, for the betterment of the program, you got to start playing the younger guys. I mean, if some of the younger guys progress then maybe they'll just overtake some of the older guys. That's a possibility. Um, you know, some of the younger guys that are getting a little bit of time, Jalen Smith, I talked to him after the game. He said his time on special teams really helped him get used to the speed of the game. So you saw last week he got his first career sack. This week, first career interception. Uh, he's playing some the nickel, uh, especially last week when they had multiple nickels on the field. Um, you know, there's a couple of, of the young DBs that have gotten a little bit of playing time. Kalen Bullock, obviously, they got to find a way to get him on the field. He's just he's so super athletic. But he, you know, that play I just mentioned, that was a mistake where he wasn't, you know, whether it was on him or the call not coming in or whatever, but that was probably his guy going there, and that was a freshman mistake. You know, some of the young guys, like Corey Foreman I mentioned earlier, obviously super talented. One of those plays, you know, took the running back instead of the quarterback when he's supposed to be the edge defender. Like, they're going to make mistakes, though. So that's the danger of playing those guys. Now, getting them bits and pieces and working their way up, and eventually you see them by the end of the year, that's what you want to do. You want to have a guy like a Dory Jackson or Iman Marshall when they come in. Well, they play a couple of series each game, and then, you know, as the season progresses, they play a little bit more, a little bit more. You saw Porter Gustin with that, with Scott Felix. Uh, you know, those type of situations where we're waiting to see – you know, people's playing time start to take off a little bit. It's been pretty consistent with the guys that are getting some playing time. Michael on YouTube says, 10th ranked roster in the NCAA, supposedly. At what point do these players take personal ownership of their performances? They all know how to tackle, block, catch, throw, run, and kick, right? Too many excuses, he says. I mean, again, it's like the players, I'm not going to be blaming them all the time. But yeah, there's, there's going to be a point of pride where you're just like, hey, we have to take this upon ourselves. We haven't been, uh, you know, 
if you're blessed with the structure of a Nick Saban program and you can just come in there and it's like, you know, you're, you're a troubled kid and you join the military. It's like, hey, sometimes you just need a discipline. You need to told when to wake up and have breakfast and all those kind of things. USC is not getting that right now where if you're in Alabama, you're getting it. And, you know, I think some players need it. Some players probably don't. Um, but they now it's kind of on themselves to like figure this stuff out. But usually you need those those adults in the room. Yeah, you can run, you can tackle, you can block, but you got to be taught things too and just where you're going to be, the right things to do and put in a, a position to succeed. And I just don't think the coaches have been doing a great job of doing that. So I'm not going to put all this on the players. I mean, some of the players have taken ownership of it. I mean, I talked to Jacob Lichtenstein after the game and you know asked him about the run attack of Oregon State. He's like, we just didn't play well enough. And then he was asked, you know, what could you have done? You know, what did you think of your performance? He said, I didn't play well enough, obviously. Look at what they ran for, basically. So some of the players are taking ownership of it and, you know, think they need to play better. Everyone should kind of think that. You know, no one went for 200 yards receiving or running or had 15 tackles and three sacks. No, You know, there was no all-star performances out there. Yeah. you meant, It's funny you mentioned Port Augustine, if you remember then, like, he kind of had his own click in the weight room where he was doing like his own nutritional stuff, his own way. You know, when you got that going on, like everyone should be following, you know, it's like you want to be the Pied Piper here and just everyone, you're all following the same guy. And like, you're just following these different people. And that's that's because you had poor leadership at the top. That would never, if Port Augustine was at, at Alabama, he wouldn't be doing his own thing. He would be, and there wouldn't be a bunch of people following him. He would be following whatever the routine is because it's proven and it's worked. And everyone knows, hey, you do this, you're going to win. Like, okay, let's do this. And USC hasn't been doing things that, hey, you do this, you're going to win. It's just sort of like just willy-nilly do whatever. All right, a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Andrew says, how many years before we see a dominant O-line from USC? It depends on when they start recruiting a dominant O-lineman. Um, you know, they're developing these guys, and Cortland Ford and Jonah Monaghan have done some nice things, but they're also getting beat at times because they're second-year the freshmen, freshmen yeah. offensive linemen that weren't, you know, top 10 prospects in the nation, you know, as far as just overall, not top 10 offensive linemen. So, you know, those guys maybe plug and play. Ideally, you don't even plug and play those, you know, true the five-star offensive linemen. But so I, I think that they're taking some lumps they're progressing, but it's, it's going to be a work in progress. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the good thing is the transfer portal, if you bring in a great coach and he has an awesome offensive line coach, he can bring in some guys like and, and plug them in right away. You know, you'll probably lose some guys too. Um, but there's opportunities there to kind of rebuild things. But the offensive line of all the groups probably, you know, it might be an extra year. Sometimes you bring in that five-star offensive lineman. He's not playing for a year and a half, two years or something. That happens too. Some guys are 280 and they need to be 300 or 320. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I think Ryan's mentioned it like, oh, well, or it's been talked about with the transfer portal. Like, new coach comes in, there's a chance to overturn the roster real quickly and be able to win quickly. But it's not that simple. Look at Utah, look at some yeah. of these other programs that have brought in a ton of transfers, and it's not working out well for them necessarily. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're taking their lumps early in the season. Maybe they get better as the season progresses but that's a danger you know if you look at it. and also still you got to get those players you know if you were if you were able to get offensive linemen out of the transfer portal or you're able to get defensive tackles that can plug and play type of thing there are some position deficiency at usc that will have to be addressed and some of those position groups namely in the trenches are usually 
ones where you're hoping a guy by year two or year three, they're really contributing and being a factor, not usually year one. We had a question from James on Facebook who said, does it seem like the defensive line and linebackers react so quickly attacking the quarterback or taking on a block without watching where the ball is going first? I feel like they need to keep their eyes up and eyes on the ball and wait to react instead of taking themselves out of the play. I'd have to watch that a little bit more, but it, it, I mean, like what Shaka was saying earlier, it just seems like guys are getting just erased with these blocks. And sometimes it's, yeah, you got to engage and then break off, but sometimes it's, knowing like you're saying where your eyes are and you're kind of slipping to where you're avoiding the block and you're kind of sliding by and and get putting yourself in position to if you're not going to make the tackle you're making the 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 runner or receiver move somewhere else and you're kind of taking up some space but it just seems right now you'll see guys are just kind of running into the blockers getting erased and then people are doing what they you know what they want too many guys are trying to do too much at times this was the case at washington state and when they finally settled in that was the difference don't try to do too much. Do your job. That's, you know, there was one play where it may have even been the same play with Corey Foreman. I was mentioning earlier, but Corey Foreman went inside or the defensive end went inside. The linebacker on that side went inside and that opened up the whole thing. Every there are three people went after uh, the running back. Raylan Goforth is right there and collide shoulder pad to shoulder pad with the running back who doesn't have the ball and the quarterback runs free. Everyone's going to help out Raylan Goforth. Um, and, and sometimes it's, you're trying so hard that you're you're hurting yourself. Yeah. Uh, so they have to be more disciplined with their eye discipline. You know, with the eye candy, you know, with the motions and all that stuff. Knowing exactly what your job is and not trying to let me help out so and so. You know, let me just focus on what I gotta do. And you know, one of the big things that those guys could do to focus on themselves is getting off blocks. I mean, that'd be a big one too. We got a question from Trojan Trojan on YouTube who said, uh, "What's the best case scenario for Dart returning? Best case scenario would be three weeks." That's the earliest for meniscus, uh, but we'll see. Dante Williams said he's week to week at this point, but Dante Williams, I'm not sure if we can take his word for injury <laughs> updates on that front. And then we also had a question, will Miller Moss start next week? And I think people are getting into like video game mode. <laughs> Miller Moss did not play his senior year of high school. He has not. He's played one down of college football. Yeah, he handed so the ball off once. you're not going to uh, replace your third year starter for Miller Moss just because you want to shake things up. It's not how it works. Mm. Just, Just... Throwing that out there. Yes. Uh, Randy said, do you think it would be to USC's advantage to get Harrell out of the press box and on the field to coach up and pump up the offense? I mean, he's not a pump-up guy, so I don't think that would help. Like, he's not someone that's going to be out there, like, jumping up and down or anything. That's just not – that's not his personality. So I think he's – I think he's where he should be in the press box. That's what he does. Yeah, he's, he's better, like, seeing things and trying to diagnose from, you know, eye in the sky, I think, yeah. than, than on the field. Um, we had a question from, sorry, I lost it. It's okay. Um, Ruben wanted to know, in the case of USC, when you have observed that players are not being developed, what's the best course of action from that starting point of, we know they're not being developed? To develop them? Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, I'm, get coaches in that know how to develop players. You know, some coaches are really good at X and O's. Other guys are really good at taking a guy and, creating those building blocks of the fundamentals and stuff. So, you know, maybe that's what you need. And ideally you have a, a, a great combination of both on a, on a full staff, but maybe you look at it and say, we got to focus on development first and we'll worry about X and O's later or something like that. But uh, just developing them, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would agree. You got to get, I mean, it's, I think the USC coaching staff, the assistant coaching staff is significantly better now than it was a couple years ago or a couple years before that. 
but it still starts from the top, you know, and it's, it's really hard to change all the pieces around the head guy. Now you're changing the head guy and that's going to be the driver towards here's what the program's going to do. Here's how we're going to recruit. This is, this is our recruiting philosophy. This is our developmental philosophy. This is how we're going to go forward and build a championship caliber program. But I think it's, it's got to start with, yeah, you want to develop these guys, but it's going to start with who's the leader that's going to be doing this and making the mandates to that everyone else on the pro program is going to follow from the assistant coaches to the recruiting staff to the GAs, whatever. Everyone's going to be following that same mandate for what you hope is going to be a, a great leader and a teacher of young men. John on Facebook wanted to know, does anyone know the last time USC ran a trick play? I honestly don't remember one since the Carroll era. I do. No, they've been. They've been multiple. T. Martin would run trick plays. I Honestly, that's not really a part of Graham yeah, Harrell doesn't do much of that. Yeah. This this is how big our playbook is. It's going to work. Just run the grass. That's the philosophy. That's what he sticks with. It's not, hey, we're going to trick you with stuff. The Well, this is an offense, but the Michael Pittman special teams trick play against UCLA. Right. Uh, I believe there's a double pass against Notre Dame in 2016, 15? Tyler Vaughn's through a... Uh, Touchdown pass at one point, I think. And yeah, there's been not there's been not a lot though, for sure. Um, yeah. lately with the Graham Harrell. Yeah, Vaughn's threw one to Pittman, I think. Maybe that was the Notre Dame game. A, so we got to ask like Michael Castillo this or something. Like, has has Graham Harrell run a trick play? So three years has USC run an offensive trick play? Somewhere? That's I know. Yeah, I can't think of one, but I don't remember what I had for breakfast. Well, because I was up till four in the morning, so I probably didn't have breakfast. But yeah. Alrighty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? I got a bunch of rants in today. I feel good about you that. You did. It's a um, ranty show. A little ranty. Uh, yeah, this is going to be two months of who the hell knows, right? <laughs> we just don't know. Um, eight games left. You hate to see the players put in this position, but it needed to happen. You needed to make a change. Uh would you have liked to have done it a couple of years ago? Yeah. I mean, we talked about that for a while, but whatever. Now you're making the change. I don't want to see the team give up on the season. Um, what I saw Saturday night, you know, two nights, uh, you know, eight days ago, didn't look like the team gave up. It looked like they were, fight they were fighting. I didn't see the fight last night in the Coliseum. And you hope that that can change. And it can change. They're a talented enough team. There's enough leaders. Um, you got enough good assistant coaches there that they're going to wrap this, you know, take the people together and go, we got to take this seriously and let's go out and beat some people and take pride in our work. And it's going to be hard when you lose the head coach and you can lose the team at any time. And it looked like they lost the team yesterday, but I don't think it's gone. There's still a lot of football left. I just hope for the player's sake that something, someone steps up and leads this team and gets them. Uh, and you make some kind of run like Ed Orgeron had when he was the interim head coach. You're going to win every game. They already lost one, but you can win a bunch of these. And if you win like a Notre Dame, that's something you're going to be telling your kids, you know, for years and years. And you're going to beat a UCLA team that's coming out and trying to push you around. Those are things you can take a lot of pride in what's left in this season. So I'm just hoping we see this team do that and take some pride in what's left. Because if not, it's going to be a really, it's been a miserable few years for USC fans. And I'd hate to see them wait all this time for to get in the Coliseum and get football back and have it be somewhat normal and then just have it be a throwaway season. I think that'd be a travesty if this ends up being a throwaway season. But unfortunately, that's the seem, it seems like that's where it's trending right now. I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a first? Really? Nothing, Chuck? 
going with nothing, okay? Wow, okay. All righty, that's going to wrap it up for this uh, Sunday night episode. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll have a replacement for Ryan because Ryan is being a boss man and doing his own thing on Thursday. I'm going to (laughs) go take off and play some golf. (laughs) I don't need to see this debacle for a little while. Ryan Abraham, my goodness. (laughs) Shock and I will be here, so stay tuned for that. So we'll we'll have a fill-in. Don't worry about that. We'll preview USC's game against Colorado. Chris and I are making the trip out there, so stay tuned for that. But that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next time. Bye. See ya.